Welcome, Prince, said Aslan. Do you feel yourself sufficient to take up the kingship of Narnia? I, I don't think I do, sir, said Caspian. I'm only a kid. Good, said Aslan. If you had felt yourself sufficient, it would have been proof that you were not. Therefore, under us and under the High King, you shall be King of Narnia, Lord of Caerperavel, and Emperor of the Lone Islands. You and your heirs while your race lasts. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Kel. I'm Chase. And thank you for joining us today. Just a reminder that today we are talking about the fourth book in the series, Prince Caspian, but general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we do go on to tangents into other stories that we enjoy. We'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too far out there. But today we're discussing the final chapter of Prince Caspian, chapter 15, Aslan makes a door in the air. Last one, Cal. It's the last hey, one. Hey, we made it. You know, uh, we're here, and uh, something. Uh, you know, it's 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 nice when you 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 have a door that just you know it's not really a door. It's kind of just like three beams of wood. I mean, he kind of built a door. It's just yeah. a door to nowhere. It's not necessarily a door in the air. It's just it's a door. Yeah, like, yeah it's more like like. You know when you have a wedding like on a beach and you yeah. put some sticks up so that you can hang some garland on them? It's kind of like that. Totally. Yeah, I'm with you. Chase, speaking of garland, you want to give us a summary? Sure. As Judy Garland, I will do that. Are you going to uh, give the whole summary today? What? Are you going to give the whole summary as Judy Garland? <laughs> if I had a Judy Garland impression that I just like whipped out, that would I was- be I was about to be really impressed and very a dream. I saw her on a documentary yesterday, but outside of that, I don't have anything relevant. But All yeah, right. summary of this last chapter of Prince Caspian. Uh, so as the Telmarine soldiers see Aslan, uh, they grew pale and shook in fear. Even some of the dwarves on the Narnian side were kind of shaken by his presence and began to edge away, but the talking animals surrounded him in joy, celebrating. Uh, and Peter led Caspian to Aslan, and Caspian knelt and kissed the lion's paw. And Aslan asks him if he feels ready, if he feels sufficient to be the king of Narnia. He replies that he doesn't. He's only a kid. Aslan said this is good, and if Caspian did feel sufficient for the job, it would only be proof that he wasn't. And Aslan made him king of Narnia very casually because quickly interrupted by a group of mice carrying what was left of Reepicheep to the group. And Lucy quickly used her healing potion to make him better. The only problem is that the potion doesn't regrow tails. Reepicheep doesn't have a tail and he's very, very upset by this, asking if there's anything that could be done. Uh, Aslan asks if Reepicheep's pride Maybe might be a problem, uh, but luckily Reepicheep convinces him that being prideful is actually a good thing. So Aslan gives him his tail back uh, before all the rest of the mice can cut their tails off in solidarity. After this, Caspian gets knighted, and then some trees cut off their hands to start a bonfire. And then the Roman god Bacchus returns with his girls to get the party going. Lucy, that that was an actual p- page of this book. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> Lucy watched the tree people eat dirt for dinner. That also happened. Uh, and then meanwhile, the Telmarine people are all watching from a distance, wondering what all this means. The next day, the messenger birds and squirrels were sent across the land to announce that Caspian is king now and Narnia belongs to the animals again. Anyone who wanted to stay was allowed to, but if they didn't, Aslan could send them somewhere else. Aslan created a doorway in the air and told them that long ago a shipload of pirates had stumbled onto an island and terrorized its natives. And then the natives fled up into the mountain and into a magic cave that led them into Telmar, a land in the world of Narnia that didn't have people for a reason that we're not going to talk about right now. Don't ask about it. Don't ask. Not your story. Not your story. Classic Aslan. Uh, but Aslan could send them back to the island, which is now pirate-free, and had plenty of food and water, very conveniently already dug wells, and the first man who decided to go received a blessing from Aslan. Uh, saying that he would do well there, and then he disappears through the door. When he disappeared, everyone else got super scared, like, where the heck did he just go? Did he die? Did you just kill him? At first, Cheap offers to go with several mice to show that it's safe, but Aslan says no, that he's just going to get turned into a circus freak. Uh, then Peter said it was time for the Pevensies to go. He'd already talked to Aslan about it. They've completed their task. Also, Peter and Susan are never coming back, but don't worry about it. Uh, they're too old now, so Aslan's cutting them off. They all said their goodbyes, and then they lined up in a long line with their hands on each other's shoulders, because why not keep the party going as they go back to Earth? And they all went through the magic door. The Pevensies found themselves back on the train platform in London, but oh bother, Edmund left his new flashlight in Narnia. Don't you hate um, when that happens? Don't you hate when that happens, when you accidentally leave your brand new torch in another world, Kel? You know what I also hate, Chase? When I'm so terrified at seeing Aslan that my cheeks become the color of cold gravy. I, I was just thinking that. I was just looking at the pot of cold gravy that's been on my counter for the last three weeks and thinking, I'm looking a little bit like that these days. Maybe I should get a COVID test. Man, well, it's one of those things like... Like, what a weird piece of imagery that C.S. Lewis uses here. But also, like, you got to you gotta be more specific. Are we talking, like, white gravy, brown gravy? Like, there's different kinds of gravy here. I mean, I appreciate that we don't need to know what where, where the Telmarines are originally from on Earth. I, I think it's open to interpretation. Yeah, it's great. Uh, are they a little bit green? Are they growing mold? That's a different yeah. question. Yeah, could be, honestly. Does the uh, gravy have any other ingredients, or is it just a roux? Important <clears throat> questions that C.S. Lewis doesn't answer. Gordon Ramsay has some thoughts about this. Uh, but they're all terrified, and we see them, you know, watching, and all of the talking animals, however, are super pumped, and all of the Narnians are super uh, pumped that Aslan is here, that the battle has been won. Uh, and it's a really cool scene. <clears throat> like. Uh, C.S. Lewis writes that like all of the animals are like running between Aslan's legs and like they're like acting like a like a little cat with a big dog like just which I don't know if I've ever seen a little cat and a big dog be like friends like C.S. Lewis like a little dog with a big dog be friends sure but you know whatever uh, I don't like the gravy thing like I think C.S. Lewis just finds these little pictures and then 
like kind of wedges them in because he's like, I, I have to include this. Like, it's a great image. Everybody's seen a little kitten who's somehow friends with a big dog. I've got imagery, and I'm gonna I'm gonna shoehorn this in. Uh, but right after his shoehorning, uh, Peter leads Caspian through the crowd uh, and comes Caspian's uh, coronation moment, which you mentioned at the top of the chapter, uh, where he goes or Aslan asks, "Hey, do you think you're worthy? Do you think you're sufficient?" to take up the kingship. And he's like, no, dude, I'm a child. He's like, sweet, that makes you qualified. How do you feel about that, Kel? We've got a lot of thoughts on this, Chase. Uh, first of all. Kel, if I don't feel qualified to be president, doesn't that make me qualified to be president? Uh, as, you know, our recent presidential uh, candidates have, have shown, be careful. Be careful. that's not true. I'm not a, yeah, I would say, you know, candidates, everyone. Uh, not no, necessarily. No, it's almost as if no one has ever been qualified to be in charge of a country. And maybe, maybe it needs to be split between multiple powers. Hmm. You, uh, you, uh, what is that? A, when you rule by a group, I'm trying to go back to like ninth grade. Uh, I uh, think it's the, uh, there's an oligarchy, but that's like there, the, there's an awesome stone preaching model joke that I can't quite find. But <laughs> uh, uh, there's a multitude of voices in the in the Oval Office. We just believe in a plurality of leadership here. Yeah, um, but it's it, so two things here mainly. So one, if you are not qualified and you recognize you're not qualified, say like you're a child who should not be leading because you don't have leadership experience, you shouldn't be leading, right? You can be aware and very, like it can be known that you are not ready for this. And that is okay. Two, the person who say someone is qualified for leadership and is aware that they are qualified, that they, yeah, I actually feel like I am worthy of this that doesn't disqualify them from leadership that they are aware of who they are. Like, yeah, it's because there's two sides to it. I, cause I agree. I think the, the child part of it is what makes me agree in Caspian's case. I think that like this would have made a lot more sense if Aslan had said, you're right. But alas, you will have help. You have gathered around you many wise and helpful counselors who will help. Like that. Like that would have made more, like reap a cheap comes in so hot that like the coronation doesn't really have time to simmer. Um, But like, you're right. It's a different case between like, I'm unqualified and that is true. And I'm unqualified. I'm being humble and it gets yeah. played off as if Caspian's just being humble, but he says like, I'm just a kid. And right. as he's like, yeah, you are good luck. And then bye. Oh, deuces. I would say also this, there's a difference between humility and disqualification where like, like if you're not qualified for something and you say, I'm not qualified for this, that's not being humble. That's just being honest. However, it like, this is the, the like the Jesus example. Whenever someone's like, "Oh, like you know, 
you know, are you these things or uh, like Jesus is never like, oh, I'm not the son of God. Like I'm not these things. It's like Jesus is open and forthright about who he is. It's not humility for him to say, I'm not capable of doing these things or I'm not, that'd be a line. Like, so like humility is just having a proper like viewing of yourself in relation to other things and other people. Like saying, I wonder I'm not if any good. writers have ever said anything significant about humility. Mm. And I'm sure C.S. Lewis doesn't have anything to say about it. Probably not. But, uh, but yeah, so it's like, yeah. I think he's trying to emphasize the like point of humility in a leader, which is good. Like you should have leaders who are humble. However, you're, what it's doing is you're, you're, you got to land in a sweet spot, not in you're either putting someone in leadership who's unqualified or putting someone who's a liar. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's a difference between recognizing the weight of a mantle and not having the tools you need to, to lift it. Mm. Yeah. And Caspian pretty clearly says, I don't think I got those tools, dude. And then, and then Aslan is like, well, deuces. Good luck. And, and we, I definitely and we almost Aslan, think Aslan right now, by the way. And Aslan, Aslan is definitely going to leave. That's what he does. You know, it's, it's not like he just it's one of his defining characteristics is disappearing on a moment's notice. That he goes, Hey, look over there, a door in the air. And then everyone goes, What? And he goes, Gone. But alas. Do, okay, I've been trying to think of it since yesterday, and I haven't thought hard enough to actually Google. What is the dance where you like put your hands on each other's shoulders and the conga line? Conga line. That is what I've been trying to think of. It, yeah, there's a conga line later in this chapter. We'll get there. I've been trying to think of it though. There is a conga line, but first is a is a party carrying uh, a sad and broken little Reepachi. Chase, this was like I, I knew that he was going to get better. But like as they were like carrying him, I was like, "This is like super morbid sounding." They're like, "Yeah, he's a mangled mess. Like he's bleeding. He's got yeah. no tail. Like he's more dead than alive." It's really it's rough. So the line in the chapter on the litter lay what seemed a little better than a damp heap of fur. All that was left of Reepicheep. He was still breathing, but more dead than alive, gashed with innumerable wounds, one paw crushed, and where his tail had been, a bandaged stump. That's rough. Like, what happened, man? Like, everyone else is muddy and maybe has a little blood here or there. Reepicheep is like beat up. Like, is, was he the only one fighting? Like, is yeah, he the this, only potential casualty? This battle lasted about 30 seconds. What yeah. happened? Did he get stepped on by the giant? Wimbleweather, man. Uh, Golly. Uh, but. Not that smart. Super nice. Very scary. Not that smart. Thank goodness, though. Lucy is here with her uh, MacGuffin bottle uh, that uh, can heal all wounds, except apparently growing back a tail. It can, you know, heal a crushed paw. And, you know, bloody wounds and, like, gouges. Because she pours a bunch of uh, this medicine all over him. But as he's coming to, he's like, Hey, Aslan, I have the... Oh, wait, where is my tail? Yeah, which... 
do you buy this can do everything but that? Like, I don't, I don't think that makes any sense. <laughs> I like to think it's more, it's more reasonable for me that she only poured it on his front and just didn't pour it on his tail um, than it is that it can't regrow tails. Yeah, like, if you have, like, a big open wound in your arm, gushing blood, like, definitely needs, like, some serious medical attention, mm-hmm. and it can rebind your muscles and grow new skin and heal a broken bone and, and all that, why could it do that but not grow a tail, which is also part of your body that needs right. Anatomically, it makes no sense. Um, but we what need are the, the rules of MacGuffin, Cal. The MacGuffin is a MacGuffin, Chase. It MacGuffs. Look, uh, Cal, if God is in the machine, I expect him to act like God, okay? Deus ex lunica. Lucy? Lucica. Lucica. L- Lucifer ex catsacatlan. Hold on, wait a minute. Uh, but it's uh, a, because of Instagram because of, crossover ad, because of the wonky rules here, uh, his tail does not grow back. And you know he's trying to bow, and he realizes that he's off balance, and he's turning around, and uh, we we see him just trying to find his tail, only for him to realize the dreadful truth that he indeed has no tail. And he apologizes for, you know, appearing before Aslan in an unseemly fashion. Uh, and I, it's, it's one of those things, I like Aslan's responses here, uh, like, originally, to Reepicheep. Because Reepicheep is very concerned about, you know, his, his vanity, honestly. He's like, mm-hmm. I need a tail because I need to look proud and presentable and honorable and dignified. And Aslan's like... It becomes you very well, small one. Uh, and like, he's like, you know, all the same, do you think you could grow one back? And he's like, what would you do with a tail? And he goes, like, I can eat and sleep and die from my king without one, but a tail is the honor and glory of a mouse. And I guess, you know, this is kind of biblical. Like, this is like, like hair is the, you know, honor and glory uh, of a, who knows? Uh, I've got, I've got, a friend who takes that to the extent that he thinks that women should have to wear head coverings in church. That's uh, an opinion you can have. That is how I respond to him. Uh, But um, he, so yeah, he's like, you know, this is the honor and glory of a mouse. And as goes, I've sometimes wondered friend, whether you do not think too much about your honor. Uh, and it's, he's kind of calling him out. He's like, look, man, like you're putting honor, you're, you're like, you know, supposed view on what is honor, what is dignity above what actually is honorable and dignified. Like your character is what makes you honorable and dignified. But Reepicheep tells him being honorable is more important than having good character. So. As long as I'm proud, you should go ahead and give me my tail back. Yeah. Reaper Chief does like make a good point there about like the place that mice and really he makes a great defense for all our short kings out there. (laughs) Which 
both of us are over six feet tall. So I feel like that's not, <laughs> we can't really get in, on board with this uh, as a reason to gr- get over whether or not pride is, is bad. But yeah, uh, but yeah he basically says like, look, mice have been made small. Like if we didn't guard our dignity, people would trample on us. And then he gives a, little glare over to Wimbleweather because why not why not be mad at the tall guy when you're the short guy because it's very on the nose. It makes um, me think even more that Wimbleweather did crush his paw. Yeah. Does Reepichi fully just have a Napoleon complex? Is that is that his character attribute? I'm pretty sure he has a French accent and holds his hand in his vest uh like this. I mean I think that is the movie presentation of him more or less. <laughs> He's still British in the movies, but uh, aren't the French always British in movies? Isn't everyone British in movies? At <laughs> least Les Miserables, everyone is British, and yeah. it's very distinctly set in France. It's a French title. In fact, about the French Revolution. How do you do? My name's Scarf Roche. That's a very French accent for everyone who's wondering. True. I mean, or it could be Cockney British, you know. From the man who brought you my wife. <laughs> he so give give him as much crap as you want, and he deserves it. He is the only one who tries for a French accent in that movie. That, like, it's just because he's such a talented character actor. <laughs> everyone always goes, "Hey, you know who's a talented character actor? Borat." <laughs> Sasha <laughs> they weren't. They weren't wrong. <laughs> I mean, you know, more power to him. Uh, but he he talks about how he needs his tail, and, and you know that's that's his honor. Uh, but then the thing that actually convinces Aslan is all of his you know lieutenant mice, uh, his eleven boys surround him, uh, and they all pull out their swords uh, and hold them up to their tails, and they're they're like on your on your word, like we would cut off our own tails so that our our chief, uh, the the high mouse, uh, does not have to go alone without a tail. And Aslan's like, I didn't, I didn't realize that the mice were a high school basketball team shaving their heads. Hey, dude, uh, that's I I love this move from the mice. It's it, it actually is very solid. I like how Aslan's like, you're kind of prideful, but that was super cute, guys. Y'all should. He melted my heart. He's like, this was a dope moment. I'm gonna let you slide on this one, and uh, you know, you're. The I love will watch that video on Instagram Reels. You're right. Yeah, the love that you and your companions have for each other outweighs your pride and dignity. So, and also, you know, remember that time that y'all like freed me from my ba- my binds in the stone table. That's when you actually became st- like talking mice. This is one of those things that like C.S. Lewis just like throws a random exposition in when it doesn't necessarily need to be there, uh, where yeah. he's just like... If anything, oh, yeah. this would have been a good calling card when the mice first entered the story. That would mm-hmm. make more sense as a place to wedge that in. He's just Now he's just letting the audience know, oh, yeah, I remember the mice cut my minds, and that's when I decided that they would be talking mice. It's like, no, focus on the Reaper cheap stuff. Like, this it, stuff doesn't apply. It does feel like... You know how some pastors try to wedge 
the gospel into places where they weren't talking about it. Chase, have you ever eaten pizza? The gospel's kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. It's very much like a youth pastor praying for the pizza at a youth event and being like, you know what? The reason we got this pizza is because Jesus died for our sins. So let's all enjoy it. Like it, it does feel like that just to be like, you know, the reason that y'all can talk in the first place is because I died for your sins. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but just died for that joke, Cal. Died for it. Uh, but so Reba Cheap gets his tail back uh, and then Aslan knights Caspian. And then as, as soon as Caspian is knighted, he knights Truffle Hunter, Trumpkin and Reba Cheap, which I don't. Here's one of those things like. Can a knight knight other people? That feels like only something that like... I watched Game of Thrones, yes. That that feels cheap to me and not in the Reaper kind of way. Are you uh, saying that Jamie and Bran, spoiler for Game of Thrones is goodbye, was cheap, Kel? Uh, I'm saying that Aslan should have been the one to knight all of them. No, you're right. Uh, like, it's, it's even weird that... Peter is the one tonight, Caspian. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but Peter is the high king, so I can understand that. That one, that one, I can track with. But as soon as Caspian is knighted, it doesn't say like he like he does the same thing for the other three, and then he makes Doctor Cornelius his Lord Chancellor, and <laughs> confirmed Bulgy Bear to be the Marshal of the Lists, as is his hereditary office. Like, okay, sure. Why not? Who cares? He's going to keep sucking his paw while he does that. Sure. You know, uh, but we, we move forward. Uh, the Telmarines are put in a really nice prison where they're given beef and beer, uh, you know, cause the, the Narnians, you know, they're, they're cool. They're cool people, you know? I mean, uh, still always eternally. The thing that comes back up is like, why are you eating meat? Why are you giving people beef? Why are you raising cows in this society that includes talking cows? You're asking a lot of questions that the Narnians don't want to answer, Chase. This is an episode of Family Guy where a group of talking chickens raises chickens for... Uh, no, it's not Family Guy. It's uh, is that BoJack Horseman. There's an episode of some animated show that runs down this plot line way further than it needs to go and rescues some some endangered chickens from a chicken farm run by chickens. It's a, uh, that is not dissimilar to this, but then chase, we get to just a real, this is what we mentioned during the summary. We just get to a real weird section of this chapter. There's a lot that happens in this chapter. I mean, we've, we've already talked through the coronation of Caspian, the regrowth of a tail, the knighting of, you know, these people, and then we get to just a like as the like partying starts. There's some weird things that happen. Yep. And we're going to start with the trees throwing parts of their body. So they're just throwing dry branches into the middle of the of the ground so that the dwarves can come by, gather them up and start a bonfire. Yeah, which part of me actually appreciates that this entire section of the book is through Lucy's eyes. Mm -hmm. Like we basically like post 
knighthoods, we enter Lucy's mind where Lucy's just watching this party go down. Yeah. She's like, wait, those trees look like they're breaking off their fingers. Oh, it's because the dwarves are using their fingers to make a bonfire. Oh, look, Bacchus is back. Like, yeah. it's, it's a weird. And then she watches the trees eat for a while. It, it's, it's odd. It's very odd. Yeah. So after the trees uh, throw away, throw parts of their body to be made into a fire, Bacchus and Salinas are debaucherous party goers. Uh, Roman gods come back and they I have a nice. Bacchus, where we get the word debauchery from? Uh, we have a great time. We have another huge party where they get, uh, you know, filled with all these sweets and foods. And we can only assume alcohol um, because this is a magic dance of plenty. Uh, and then after that, uh, the, the, the trees start eating what looks like cake, but it's actually, or chocolate, but it's actually just dirt. So the trees are eating and she's watching the trees eat. Um, and they're moving through different, they're doing like a charcuterie board of different dirts and earth. Um, it's like, okay, whatever. Um, and eventually like everyone is just partying and everyone's having a good time feasting and Aslan and the moon are just like locking eyes. Like this is the last line of this little like party section where it's like, but all night Aslan and the moon gazed upon each other with joyful and unblinking eyes. So. And for the reader, this is like a quarter of this chapter. <laughs> a lot. Like we, this I, I, I got a pages. Like, I yada yada as much as C.S. Lewis is going to in just a few like a few pages, uh, but it's a lot of pages of like describing all the food and the earth that they're eating and things like that. Yeah, uh, far more detail than anyone would ever want for <laughs> what's going on here. They could have just been, and they feasted into the night, and Aslan yeah. was super chill about it. Like, yeah, but no, would have been enough. Not enough. Uh, but everyone wakes up and then messengers are sent with the following message that one, Caspian is now king and that Narnia belongs to the talking beasts and the dwarves and the dryads and the fawns and the other creatures as much as it does to men. Anyone who chooses to stay under those conditions can do so. Anyone who does not, Aslan will provide another home. Now, this is going to be an interesting thing because those are the two options that are given. But we're going to see that not everyone wants to fulfill one of those two options. We'll get to there in a second. Um, and so anyone who wants to go to where Aslan is promising a home, uh, will uh, they, they, they just got to meet at the Ford of Baruna by noon on the fifth day. Uh, and a lot of them start to decide whether what they want to do. A lot of the younger ones want to stay in Narnia. A lot of the older ones who are friends with Mraz. Uh, they don't trust anyone and don't want to live in this country. Uh, but it says like on the appointed day, more than half of them turned up. And this is more than half of the people who were dissatisfied with the like conditions. So Chase, what happens with the people who don't want to leave Narnia, but who don't want to live under these conditions? Man. They'll all die someday. <laughs> Are they about to get murked by Aslan? It. I don't think it ever comes 
up. Like, I think they just kind of be hermits in the wood or something. Like, I don't know, man. I'm maybe one of them that. becomes Puddle Glum someday. Damn, what a uh, what a crossover that would be. Yeah, it's it's unclear. It seems like most of them that want to leave show up, but not all of them do. Yeah. It's a, it's a nice little C.S. Lewis leaving himself something if he wanted to use it later that I'm pretty sure he never uses again. Nope. But whatever. So we, we keep moving forward, onward and upward. Uh, and the Aslan has now set up this, this door frame. Basically, he's put up two pieces of wood vertically and somehow mounted a third piece of wood on the top because he just did. Yeah. Uh, don't worry about how he's magic. That's a different story. Uh, you know, cause the two vertical pieces to appear like grow. I don't know where the top piece is from. It's just there, Chase. Don't worry about it, you know? Um, this is a place where I think the movie did a better job of coming up with something organic and cool than the actual book did. Because in the movie, it's like a tree that like untwists itself and creates yeah. the door. Which is, imagery-wise, way cooler, way better than just like a, a door frame that just is there. Uh, but Aslan now uh, tells the story of Telmar and the Telmarines. And this is just a weird little section that like, why introduce this if you're not going to talk about it or not really give much detail into it? Because basically what he says is like, I'm about to send you into your own country, which I know and you don't know. We don't even remember this. He's like, well, you came into Narnia out of Telmar and you came out into Telmar from another world, actually from the world where High King Peter belongs. Uh, and tells this story where these pirates came to this island that they lived in the South Sea and like were killing everyone and taking their women. And the, you know, there were some people who were really scared and who ran up the mountain uh, on the island into this cave. And it's a magic cave. One of, you know, they, there used to be way more magic caves uh, and, and magic interests in Denarnia than there are now. There's only very few now. Uh, and they just appeared in Narnia the world, not Narnia the country, and then founded Telmar. And then once they became prosperous, there was a famine. And so they decided to invade Narnia. And then... Why not? Yeah, why not? But he... he uh, on In word of like the, uh, the invasion uh, and, and everything of how they took over Narnia... He goes, but that's a different story, which we're not telling. It's like, but that's how we got here. This book is about how the Telmarines are ruling Narnia. Like, I care about that story more than I do how the Telmarines got into Narnia or, or into the world. Like, yeah, yeah, it definitely glosses over any of the history pre-conquering. Yeah, like the first Caspian. Caspian the Conqueror, who we learned about in like chapter two of this book, like 
he was already in charge whenever they invaded. Like, right. they were able to take over without, you know, really... Like, it's not like a few, like, refugees invaded. Right. It's a established people who had originally been refugees. Correct. It's almost like the founding of our own country. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but then after he yada yadas this, um, the one of his one of his first yada yadas of this little ending section, he goes, you know, what do you think about all this, King Caspian? Like, and he's and King Caspian's like, like this is where uh, I I. I thought this was a really interesting little line, especially as, you know, coming from a British person who like the history of Britain was imperialism. And Catherine's like, well, I kind of wish that we came from a more honorable lineage, uh, which is a fair thing to say, you know, but then Aslan says you come of the Lord Adam and lady Eve. And that is both enough honor to erect the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. Be content. It's like, wow, that's an interesting line. Like, I, I don't really think about how much honor comes from being related to Adam and Eve. But. Yeah, I mean, I feel like he's getting at what a lot of theologians talk about with the Imago Dei, like the image of God. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it is, it's a nice C.S. Lewis moment. Totally. Nice I like little, it. like, pull back the curtain and be like, this is what I want you to take away from this, kids. I like it. But yeah, uh, after that, Aslan tells the Telmarines, hey, I'm going to send you back to that island that you originally came from. Don't worry. The pirates are all dead and gone. And the island is really prosperous and will be very good for you. You'll be able to live well there. And who's going to go, you know, who, who's willing to go first? And then this one guy, uh, you know, is like, hey, we'll take the offer. And Aslan's like, good on you. And because you spoke first, boom, strong magic be upon you. And he like breathes on the guy uh, and touches his nose with his own. And the guy immediately becomes like, happy and content and uh and like moves forward in confidence and then poof he's gone nothing like drugging someone and then making them disappear that you know chase that was not what i was going for but unfortunately there's there's some parallels here I, and it's kind of how the rest of the telmarines take it <laughs> yeah because uh, they're like yo did you just kill that guy like where did he go uh, and they're like, we're not going to go unless, you know, you go yourself and then reap a cheap. The, the total boss that he is, is like, listen, my dude, Aslan, if I can be of service, I will go through. And then Aslan's like, yo, you can't, we've got a whole nother book for you. You've got to be one of the main characters and you can't leave yet. Uh, wait, no, hold on. That's not what he says. Um, he goes, no, you'll be turned into a circus freak. <laughs> he's like hey all that stuff about honor earlier that's not gonna fly over there <laughs> they're so a the little bit more met, they're very different most other humans not honorable yeah if if you survive it's still gonna be bad for you not great it's uh, like have you ever seen pokemon 
it's kind of the it's kind of the ideal situation for you. I mean, Reapercheap would be a great Pokemon name. I mean, he's basically Ratatat, but I mean, can he tackle though? I mean, he can sword fight. I, I didn't realize that Ratatat could do sword dance. That's an air move. Yeah, but Ratatat, like Ratatat, would get murked by Reapercheap. Probably. I mean, like he, he would tackle him, and Reapercheap would just stab him through the heart. Honestly, and then people were like, "Yo, oh, you just killed my Pokemon." A British mouse with a sword would fit perfectly fine into the Pokemon universe. I I'm for it, and I think Nintendo needs to you know perk their ears up at us. Uh, but uh, he goes, "No, no, it is others who must take the leap." And Chase, here comes our second big yada yada of this chapter because Peter and Susan are like, all right, we got to go time's up. And then Edmund and Lucy are like, what are you talking about? Like, they're like yeah, we got to leave. Um, and also uh, we're like, we're never coming back. Y'all too will, but you know, Peter and, and Susan, us two, we're, we're too old. Uh, y'all got to go. And they're like, wait, is that what Aslan told you? And he's like, yeah, basically. Uh, but some other stuff as well, but we're never coming back. Uh, yeah. especially like spoiler alert, especially Susan. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's fully like, so Lucy asked them, was that what Aslan was talking to you and Susan about this morning? And Peter's like, yep. So we don't got to talk about it now. Let's go. Yep. Like, uh, not your story. Happened off screen. So not your, not your stories, Lucy. Don't worry about it. Uh, oh. and so they're just like, wait, you're now just, too old what does this age get barrier like you know how people can age out of narnia that's why there's no old people in the telmarines uh you know how that's just why there's no people from earth there other than the telmarines who are now from earth apparently yeah this is where c.s lewis struggles to figure out whether this is like a fantastical like imaginary children's world or a legitimate other world remember how y'all are like 37 going on 17 uh because you lived in narnia for a long time but now you're actually too old as 17 year olds so yeah so. it's a weird time but it, it's a thing but yeah, I think part of it says more about where they're at as people than as like yeah yeah peter is you know ready to pursue faithfulness in his own and, uh, you know, really like pursue like walking, uh, in, in that, in, in the real world. And Susan is ready to become an atheist and it's fine. Um, well, as we'll learn in the first chapter of the next book, at least she's pretty. At least she's pretty. And Lord knows that she's going to take, uh, she's going to have a lot more fun shopping uh, than anyone else will. Yeah. Her character takes an unfortunate turn. It's a, I blame C.S. Lewis partially, but it's a it's a bummer. I mean, he is the one that wrote it, so yeah, it was his idea. I think you can blame C.S. Lewis completely here. <laughs> C.S. Lewis, why you gotta go that direction with? I don't think he was getting feedback from his his like eight year old readers going, "Make Susan an atheist." <laughs> you know, one of the two female characters in these seven books. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe you should make one of them. Only hey. care about looks and shopping. Hey, three female characters. We oh, just haven't been my introduced. Bad. My bad. Yet. 
Uh, but they decide, okay, got to go. It's time for us to leave. Uh, and they all say their goodbyes. Lucy is really tearing up and everyone is, you know, having a good time. Uh, they don't even have like a funny embrace with Trumpkin, which I'm kind of disappointed about. Like they, they don't even call him like uh, their, their little, uh, their DLF anymore. Like we don't even get a DILF joke here, which is unfortunate. Uh, but like they just, say goodbyes and then they form a little conga line they put their hands on each other's shoulders and the tell marines put their hands on lucy's shoulders which feels weird uh and they all walk through and first they see the island that the tell marines are going to be dumped out on and then they see aslan and everyone else which is confusing because didn't they just come from that spot uh and then finally they see a train station uh and they you know everything's familiar and peter's like well we've had a time and edmund goes oh crap I left my flashlight in Narnia. Technically, he says, bother, I've left my new torch in Narnia, but I mean, I'm not British. So Bother is the British version of crap. Oh, bother, I've left my new torch in Narnia. But I mean, a perfectly nice joke to end a book on. Yeah, a I liked it. Clean ending. Yeah, it was, it was fun. It was what it was, you know. Uh, was but Chase... We've reached the end of book four, Prince Caspian. About time. <laughs> About time. It only took us, you know, a few weeks of skipping. Uh, and Hey, know, holidays got, got busy this year. Holidays got busy. That's true. This book went straight through Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's Eve. So Yeah, which like, like I don't think we had this problem last year and I was in the middle of moving, but... <laughs> Hey, we were younger then. You know? That's true. We were a whole year younger then. Yeah. But uh, Chase, would you like to lead us further up and further in? I would love to climb up that mountain with you, Kel. Uh, so the thing that I wanted to touch on for my further up and further in is this idea of the worthy hero not feeling worthy. So we talked at the beginning of this chapter about Prince Caspian, uh, who Aslan asks him, do you feel sufficient to be the king of Narnia? And obviously he says, no, I don't because I'm a literal child. Why are you asking me this? Why are you giving me this job that I'm not qualified for? And Aslan says, good. Like if you felt sufficient, then that would only be proof that you were not. And there's this idea in literature, especially fantasy literature, of the least likely hero, the the person who is downtrodden, the person who comes from the lower socioeconomic class, or the person who uh, everyone else looks at as completely average, being the person who rises to the task of of hero. And in this case, Caspian was born a prince and rich and all that stuff and so that wasn't his case but there is this element of humility is a fitting character trait of any hero that we look at and say yeah that makes sense um it would be super weird in harry potter if he was like yeah I'm just the bomb. I can beat Voldemort all by myself. Like, no, the reason we like Harry Potter is because he knows that he needs the help of his friends. He doesn't feel like he can accomplish it. And it's from that place of humility and need 
that he finds the help he needs to actually become the worthy hero. Um, same thing with like Luke Skywalker needing to go find Yoda and like be trained and become the hero that he needs to be realizing that he doesn't have the skill set on his own to do it. And we hope that Caspian will seek the help and, and advice that he needs because he's just kind of got a crown on his head now as a child, which is a uh, never a good idea if you've watched game of thrones but it's uh yeah we'll see how it goes he shows up in the very next podcast spoiler alert so it's uh hopefully he will in fact be be worthy things end up you know they end up fine for him uh they end up way better than they do for joffrey or tommen so yeah he dies at a very 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 old age so it's okay like the oldest yeah, it's it's shocking how many more sightings. Yeah, I think there's an argument to be had here that Caspian is the main character of the Narnian series, other than Aslan. I I mean, at least the second half of the books, I think that's fair. It's either Caspian or Eustace, uh, but yeah, it's. Definitely one of those vibes of like you don't expect to see him as many times. You see him more times than you're going to see Susan in the rest of the series. I'll put it that way. R.I.P. Susan. R.I.P. Indeed. Except probably probably not in peace though. I mean, when when you R.I., it's not going to be in P. But R.I.N.I.P. We'll we'll see that in the last battle. We can deal with that when we get there. We'll deal with that when we get there. She won't, but, you know, we will. Uh, but my further up and further in is the uh, concept of age in a children's story. Now, in, in children's story, you generally tend to have two things that happen. You either have the distant heroes, uh, the the knights, the the warriors, the kings who are much older, who you can, they're, they're clearly fictional. They're clearly someone that you aspire to uh, for a kid to look at and go, wow, that person is noble. That person is... Uh, is someone that I want to be like one day, or you have the relatable uh, main characters like we have in the Narnian series who are the Pevensies, who are the the children, right? You, The main characters are always children because it's something that the kids can go, I'm like that. I am a kid and I can do kid-like things. It's a reason that like Harry Potter grows up, like he's an 11 year old when he starts the stories. Uh, and because it's it's written originally, for like teenagers and you grow up with Harry and the, t- the books get progressively more mature as you age up with Harry. Now in the Narnian series, the way that you, uh, because C.S. Lewis wants to keep writing for kids, you have to remove things that become too adult. And in this situation, it is Susan and it's Peter because they're becoming old enough to where they're starting to work. They're starting to uh, think about things that are no longer childlike. And it's hard for a kid who's eight years old to empathize with a 17 or an 18 year old. Uh, it's easier for them to empathize with a eight to a 13 year old, a 15 year old, whatever Edmund might be. And it's, you know, it, it's allowing them to kind of have that, that moment uh, of, you know, Peter Pan of saying like, oh, you want to grow older. You can't be in Neverland kind of thing. But your kids will eventually, you know, your or your their kids and things like that. 
and so how they accomplish this in Narnia is saying, hey, there's this quote unquote age gap, uh, this this wall where you can't you know come back into Narnia. Is that explained? Don't worry about it. That's a story for someone else. It's not your story. Uh, but this allows for you know some of your characters that you already know and love to stay, and it allows for new characters such as will be introduced in the next podcast uh, to be introduced. Uh, and you get to hate and fall in love with them, just like you did with Edmund and Lucy. Uh, so um, it's it's this concept of you've got to keep the main characters relatable to a kid. And how do you do that? You keep them kids uh, without having time just frozen in the single summer during the war. Cal, mm-hmm. where'd my tail go? Oh, man, I must have totally forgot to put some magic potion on that. Um, But you know what, Chase? In solidarity, I will cut my own tail off as well. Well, before you cut off your tail, let me tell you where you can find and follow this podcast real quick. I love it. Uh, If you want to stand in solidarity with us and cut off your tail, uh, you can do that on instagram at chronicles of podcast and you can also find and follow this podcast wherever you get podcasts and while you're doing that we would love if you left us a rating and review five stars please it helps other people find the podcast or you can even send it to a friend um this is our last chapter of the book Prince Caspian. So next week we'll, we will be diving into the voyage of the Don Treader chapter one and continuing our read through of the Chronicles of Narnia series. Trying to stay dry. Oh, Chase, look at that. My, our tails are back. Oh, cool. I guess you didn't have to cut it off afterward. He only healed my tail, right? Oh, well, yeah, but I cut mine off while you were talking anyway. Oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool. Wait, did he grow yours back or, or are we in a room? Um, it's a nub right now. It's getting there. Cool, cool. I, I, hey, my, my dog has a nub. It's it's cute. Okay. Well, on that note, catch you catch tomorrow. I don't know why I said tomorrow, Chase. I feel stupid. I Maybe they'll listen to it next Friday and then listen to the next podcast on Saturday. Maybe there's a chance. If you did that, leave a comment on our social media, please. I mean, if if this is not the the tail end part of our podcast, it's because I forgot. <laughs> and uh and in that case, this will just be lost in the ether. <laughs>